Hello, everybody, and welcome to the December 2019 episode of Jazz Talk Seattle. This is episode 24. Can you believe that we're at two years already? It's two years. My name is Josh, and my name is Max. And today we are very excited to have all the way from Portland, Oregon, Charlie Porter. Hey, Charlie. What's up, Charlie? Hey, guys. Thanks for having so, me on the on the show. <laughs> awesome. So we're very excited about this.、Uh, Charlie is a trumpeter and composer. And、uh, he worked in the New York scene、uh, for a long time, as I understand it. But you've recently moved to Portland, is that right? Yeah, I was there for 16 years, and、uh, whoa, yeah, it was, it was, it was a good、That's、amount a of time. That's and,、cool. um, not only the, the jazz scene, but also the classical scene there. Just playing everything from from Broadway to jazz, orchestral stuff.、Uh, a lot, of, you know. That's kind of the case for a lot of players in New York. The rent is so high; you just gotta learn to <laughs> diversify your portfolio and just take for sure as many gigs as you can. But um, yeah, um, I, what brought me out here was the old story of、uh, you know, it was a girlfriend, and actually we got married, and now we're divorced. But、uh, it was funny because I always thought I would only live in New York for the rest of my life, and wow.、Um, Yeah, one thing happened,、uh, led to another, and and here I am on the West Coast. <laughs> Very interesting. Well, when did you end up in Portland?、Uh, well, it's kind of a long story, but short version of it is、uh, in 2012 we moved to Oregon,、okay. uh, my my ex wife and I, and.、Um, It, we didn't really have a place to stay at first. We were in Eugene, and then we we after Eugene、uh, for a few months, we decided to go to Portland for me because that's where there was a better music scene, of course. And I was also、sure. considering、uh, Seattle, but we didn't know anybody in Seattle, so、hmm. uh, I was in Portland for about eleven months, and then we moved up to Orcas Island of all places. Oh no <laughs> way! Lived, yeah, and I love Orcas. We were there for about two and a half years, and then、uh, after we got a divorce, I. Um, and I, you know, we're still friends and everything, and I, I still go up there and visit a lot. I, I love Arcus,、um, but it just wasn't exactly the place for me to actually have a career at、sure. this stage、cool. of my life. So that's why I decided to hightail it back to Portland, and I've been here ever since. Okay,、um, very cool. Yeah, we'll probably come back to the Arcus Island thing a little bit later, but yeah, that、cool. already answers some of the questions that Max、uh, <laughs> had looking forward. But before we get there,、uh, so the reason、uh, you're here on this podcast today. Is to talk about your new album, Immigration Nation, which was released,、uh, if I remember right, fifteenth of November. That's correct. It was released、yep. on my birthday. Awesome. Well, speaking、nice. of birthdays,、uh, how I learned about this record was because November second is my birthday, and、uh, I wanted to go see some music that day. And I pulled up the Earshot Jazz Calendar, and for those of you that don't know, it's just this big calendar of all、no、the jazz happenings. Of, yeah. Uh, in Seattle, and so I found、uh, your Vermilion show、uh, for that night,、uh, and started reading up about Immigration Nation. I thought, wow, this sounds really, really interesting. And、uh, I think I don't remember if I had mentioned to you、uh, at the show this, Charlie,、uh, but I actually put out a record in September、uh, called Bilingualism that.、Uh, Explores some of these themes、um, of immigration, but as a recent generation immigrant,、uh, or th- from that. Oh no, you didn't. That's awesome.、Uh, cool. And so, yeah,、Congrats. that's、uh, one of the reasons I was so interested in the topic that you're exploring in this record here. And came to the Vermilion show.、Uh, pretty much decided like two days before.、Uh, showed up and was really blown away. And here we are. Well, thanks, man. I'm, I. I'm glad that、uh, they listed it on your shot and and that you found out about it.、So. I am also very glad that I found out about it because I'm really digging this music. So before we get into that, though,、uh, let's see. You mentioned at the show, at the CD release show, that there was、uh, a bit of a story for how you even ended up at Vermilion as a venue because that's it's a great venue, but it's uh, uh, like. I don't know. Maybe a little bit off the beaten path in terms of jazz venues in Seattle. Wouldn't you yeah, say? Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. It's kind of a yeah. Smaller, <laughs> you could definitely say that. It's a cool place, but、um, yeah, actually, no. The you know it had a vibe, which was nice.、Um, we and you know we arranged the chairs around and kind of made it feel more like a like a jazz club as much as we could、For、that night.、Sure. 
and I'm, I'm really thankful to uh, Diana for, for, you know, just opening up her place to us, uh, even though she's not usually a, a jazz venue. Um, but the reason that that all came about was I, I had been in uh, communication with Tula's. Oh, um, I forget his name. Is it Josh or uh, Jason? Jason. Jason, yeah. thank you. I had been in touch with Jason, and we were kind of doing the the whole email back and forth thing, mm-hmm. and um, and basically uh, it was taking a while to kind of get an answer, and I guess that's because all that stuff was going down with Tula's closing, yep. and during that time, I, I probably could have been booking another venue, but I had it in my mind, okay, we're going to do it at Tula's, it's going to be awesome, because I played there before, and it's, it's always a you know, it's always been a great vibe there. I love the room. Um, so little did I know that the jazz festival, Earshot Jazz Festival, was going to be happening at the same exact time. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that basically every venue was going to be booked that night. So uh, even though I, I found out from him a good month or two uh, um, beforehand, I... I literally was trying every day to get places and, you know, it takes some places a while to, to get back to you, to let you know that, that they, you know, they've already got something going on. Uh, so, and I had a lot of possible things that just kind of kept falling through the cracks. And, uh, so it was kind of up to the minute. It was, you know, maybe up like two weeks before the gig, we finally got that place nailed down. Wow. (laughs) That sounds extremely stressful. Yeah. Gig booking is never fun to begin with, but two weeks is, uh, it's a little short, short notice, especially for a CD release kind of thing. Yeah, and you know, as part of a, a larger tour, um, I mean, not a large tour. We we just did four cities, but um, but still, it was uh, it was getting to the point where we were either going to have to drop Seattle from uh, the tour um, or possibly do a house concert, which was going to be the last um, case scenario. Mm, yeah. Or even actually, I had somebody with, that was offering uh, a church for us to use, so we we w- would have made it happen one way or cool. another. But I'm glad it was kind of, you know, at a divey little bar. Man, I am <laughs> super impressed at how much you were able to pack Vermilion with that little notice. Uh, so that's that's amazing. Thanks. Likewise, actually. I wish I could have been there. <laughs> it was a full house. I don't think there was a single empty seat. And I'm pretty sure there were some people either sitting at the bar or just standing because there wasn't enough room. That's uh, awesome. So yeah, as it, as really it should yeah. be. As it should be. For sure. Okay, well, let's dig into this record. Uh, so it's called Immigration Nation, which is very evocative of a title uh, for this record. Uh, what uh, I I know a little bit about the what the impetus behind this uh, record because of talking to you and being at the show and reading a bit on your Kickstarter campaign. But I'd love to hear straight from you. Uh, where did the idea for this record come from? What what is this all about? Well, you, you hear um, negative stuff about immigration all the time in the news and um in fact that's usually all you ever hear nowadays um and with our current administration and and policy and stuff um and combined with with stuff in the news i just i the main thing i wanted to do was create some um bridge between the huge immigrant ancestry and 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 rich uh, you know, history of that ancestry that we have here in the United States, uh, build a bridge between that and, and people that are currently trying to immigrate. Um, and, and basically put us all in the same story together, if that makes sense. Because I, I oftentimes see people, um, you know, that are fourth generation, uh, you know, the, at that point, you don't even associate as an immigrant anymore, right? Uh, it, like, for example, my great grandparents came here from Lebanon and, and from Greece and and from Italy and and uh, also from from uh, somewhere in in the UK. So um, that's where where my base came from genetically. Uh, but at this point, you know, it's it's very easy for me. Uh, to be kind of removed from that and just be like, oh, I'm a United States citizen. I feel obliged, you know, to have all the rights here. And, um, you know, this is my land, you know, that kind of mentality. And I I think a lot of people do have that mentality. And so 
because a larger population of immigrants nowadays are, you know, Latino or Asian, I, I think that also um, it kind of puts up a wall for some people that are just Caucasian, you know, because all of their immigration happened, you know, several generations ago, and maybe they don't uh, they don't necessarily put themselves in the same um, story, if you know what right, I mean. That yeah. makes sense. So. <clears throat> And what I wanted to do is just create a, 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 you know, this this way of looking at this, where we can have compassion uh, for people that are in, in this current situation of finding where their home is, and because we know that our relatives had the same story happening to them two, three, four generations ago, and uh, and that our country actually, the things that that are good about our country are because of that. You know, this mosaic, I like to think of it more as a, a, a mosaic and not as a melting pot. I think the melting pot thing is is, is a bad analogy because we shouldn't just be melting everybody into one ooze mm. <laughs> of a population. But if we have a mosaic, then, then we retain all the little individual identities, which is, I mean, if, if you've ever been to New York, that's one of the things for me that makes New York so special. And it's one reason I wanted to record this album in New York, um, because there's all these pockets of just different expression um, from, from all over the world. It yeah. really feels like that kind of a mosaic. And especially also, I, you know, living um, on the West Coast, living in Portland, which uh, is not as uh, diverse in some ways, um, you know, because of the redlining that happened. Uh, you know, it's the pockets of different, uh, you know, ethnicities and and you know racial types. It, it's they're very. Um, it's interesting. It's you, sometimes I, I don't see anyone of color for a few days. You know, mm. walking around in Portland, and it's just kind of. Uh, it gives me pause, you know, um, and it's just, uh, that's a different subject, I understand. But but still, um, when I was just living in this current um, environment here in Portland, just got me thinking more about just all those issues and like wanting to just do something with my music uh, that wasn't just writing music, but it was like, you know, the added bonus of music with a that's purpose. How I, that's you know? the kind of music that I love the most, honestly. Um, that's really great. Yeah, and I feel some kind of responsibility to do that, too. You know, it's like, man, stuff is kind of messed up. It very much is. <laughs> and I really love your uh, mosaic analogy. That's um, uh, That resonates with me a lot. And it's, it's nice that, uh, yeah, retaining connection to people's heritages and being able to showcase that is a really beautiful thing. So, well, yeah, it's a, it's a celebration. I mean, we should be proud of the word immigrant. It shouldn't be like a, a four letter word, right. you know, it, <clears throat> it's, it, it should be something that we, and that, that's part of this whole thing too. It's just reclaiming that word. And, and, um, and as, as a, as you know, most people look at me and they just think, Oh, this is a, just your average white dude. What is, what is he doing talking about immigration, you know, <laughs> which is funny to me because I think those people are so out of touch. They don't realize that immigration is not just a, you know, a brown issue. It's, it's all of us here. I mean, if, unless you were Native American or unless you, uh, you know, were somehow tied into some kind of uh, slave trade, Right. And and uh, and if you had ancestry that went back to that, uh, you got here through some kind of Absolutely. immigration. And the reason I, I, I you know, I make it, uh, I like to differentiate between those because it's important because, you know, it, this has been a learning process for me, you know, just reading about everybody's different perspective on this. And so, you know, some African-Americans do uh, see this as not immigrating, but as a forced migration. So to make that distinction is very important. Um, but otherwise, the numbers are staggeringly high <laughs> to say that most of us have immigrant roots, you know, and and for people thinking that today, um, you know, the immigration is such a, uh, a problem, they just don't really understand actually the numbers. You know, I think it's something like 41 million Americans living today uh, in the United States are, are, are foreign born individuals. Yeah, I mean, this whole country is basically um, founded on immigration. 
I mean, for sure. But that's that's actually 12, 12 or 13 percent of the overall population, whereas back in the late 1800s, it was actually about about 15 percent of the population was foreign born individuals. So we actually have less now than we did back then. So, you know, there's all these arguments. I think people just need to get their their facts straight when it comes to to um to immigration. And uh, I think there's just, put it this way, as soon as I put out the, uh, even just the flyer for, for my, um, for my concert, I put it online on Facebook. And this, this lady, she put a comment with a green puke emoji at the bottom. Um, You know, that was, that was her. And so I, and I felt compelled to write her and say, well, that's a strange, you know, thing to make a comment. You know, that's a strange way to leave your comment. Would you care to like, you know, tell me why you felt compelled to do that? And she just left like two more of those green puke emojis. Oh, <laughs> and, um, you know, she's obviously uh, I was looking at her Facebook page and she's of European heritage. So I know she got here through immigration, but yet it's sad to me that if one person has a response like that, then, you know, a lot of other people are, are having similar responses. And I just, I think they're, they must be founded on ignorance because there's, there's no other reasoning. Well, that's right. So, no, no, sorry. No, I'm blabbing here, guys. Are, it's wonderful to hear the <laughs> yeah, impetus behind important uh, things too, for sure. So bringing it back to the music a little bit more, one of the things that I really love about this album is that I feel like it's not just a, collection of songs that are, are independent that uh, uh that are related like briefly but there it's it, it tells a story and it's like an opera or a symphony and and it's got multiple acts and each one uh of the titles of the tunes is uh like you described at the show describes a part of uh the immigration process and uh i guess i wanted to ask uh did this immigration narrative that you uh, are writing about here stem from an experience of someone you know directly where you is this uh, like directly out of your family history or maybe a close friend or or yeah where wh- how did the research for this album come about that's a great question um i mean i've definitely talked to uh, relatives about their experience uh, you know about immigrating from from italy and uh also talked to my my grandfather about my great-grandfather uh, doing the same from lebanon but uh there's no one particular story that i'm really trying to cap encapsulate with any of these it's more general ideas based on all these different stories and and based on things i've read and based on friends of mine um in new york of course uh, had a, a ton of uh friends that are you know first or second generation immigrants um and they all have stories you know and, and it's, there's definitely common themes mm-hmm. throughout those stories you know and the s- same same kind of themes that that a lot of us are dealing with um you know uh just even not being immigrants i think there's definitely a way to relate to those themes you don't have to be an immigrant to understand longing or to to understand what it feels like to to not belong somewhere or to to be trying to you know to to solve kind of the issue of 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 dealing with what what family is what home is where where home is you know um but I guess uh, the whole narrative came together kind of by happenstance. I, I didn't even know I was writing this album. I was just, um, th- it wasn't until I actually wrote the song Immigration Nation and named it that, that I realized that all the other songs I'd been writing with in the same three or four month period all related wow. to the same theme. Huh. You know, uh, like, so it's, um, it's kind of interesting that the whole album just kind of came together and it was, then it was just a a matter of just kind of putting it into an order that, that had a certain flow. And at that, at a certain point, it didn't have the two sides of the story, you know, um, because, you know, there's, it's divided into leaving home and new beginnings. And that was also partly due to the fact that when I wanted to put this out on, on, uh, um, 
OA2 Records, which is, is part of Origin Records, um, John Bishop, one of the owners of, of the record company, said, well, you know, the album's kind of long. We should probably mm. cut a couple of the songs. And I was like, well, what if we could kind of frame it in a larger work, you know, a two-part work? Because I honestly, I didn't want to get rid of any of the songs. I felt like they all had kind of their place. <laughs> yeah, good job for fighting for that. Yeah. And, and Oh, thanks. Appreciate that. Um, but, you know, it's funny that we have this preset notion that an album has to be right. X number of minutes, you know? Or it's like, oh, yeah, you can never do an album over, over 46 minutes long or whatever that preset notion is for some people. It's funny. Um, and, and, and going through that and actually researching the lengths of different albums, I found that even the CD length itself was was elongated just to, uh, uh, I think it was for a Beethoven recording that was uh, 81 <laughs> minutes or 80 minutes long. They, 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 they changed the format it, uh, just for that recording to make it possible for that recording to be recorded on CD. So I think some of those things are kind of arbitrary. So I definitely did fight for it, and I'm glad I did because I feel like, you know, if somebody doesn't have the time to listen through the whole album, that's okay. I mean, even just part one, you you can take in part one, that's about 40 minutes or, uh, yeah, it's about 40 minutes, 39 minutes, and then part two. And you can kind of enjoy those separately. And uh, I, I don't think the impact is any different. You know, it's, I, I don't view music necessarily like watching a movie anyway. You know, <laughs> it's, I think it's a different experience. It's, it's temporal, but it's, it's, uh, it's one where I think you can enjoy these songs one at a time. I did listen to this individual both all the way through and individually. And when I was listening to it all the way through, it did feel kind of cinematic. But uh, at the same time, if I was just going somewhere in the car, I would put on a song or two and I was quite happy. So, yeah, this is a great album. I, I have well, a thanks. question about uh, really appreciate that. the personnel on this record um, and kind of their musical influences. Yeah. Uh, Josh was mentioning, uh, and mm-hmm. I also heard a lot of the kind of Caribbean, Afro-Cuban influence in the, in the piano playing. Um, so did you choose mm-hmm. the, the, the band members for this record kind of based on their musical stylings or heritages or, um, it was definitely, uh, a, a, an influence, um, you know, uh, these are all players that I've played with and, and have known for a, a long time. I mean, some of them 20 years. I've known Oscar for a long time. He's from Florida, South Florida, just like I am. And uh, so him and his brother, we used to play together. And uh, and Oscar, he actually played on my graduation cool. recital at Juilliard. So um, we go back. And Nick, I, I, I teach at a camp with him every year. Even though he's and from Nick's New York, I met him on the right? West Coast. Uh yeah, he's a saxophone player, and he normally plays alto. In fact, he never has has recorded uh, on tenor, and he rarely even performs on tenor. But uh, but when I asked him, he's like, "Bro, for I'm you, he I'll do it." <laughs> so yeah. he uh, and I'm I'm glad he did because he, he sounds he I sounds so killing on that, tenor saxophone. Uh, that wasn't his and main think, horn. If you hadn't said that, well, he'll take that as a compliment, I'm sure. Uh, David Wong used to play Great in my septet player. back in the day. He's, of course, very busy and, and playing with lots of people now. But, you know, I've known David for a long time, too. It's maybe 15, 16 years or something. I'm not sure. Kenneth Salters is a guy that I've always wanted to play with. Uh, we, we've done rehearsals together. I think we have played a couple times together. I just always thought he was a, a cool guy. And... Um, He's just, he's one of the sweetest guys you'll ever meet. And he's just a crushing drummer. So um, I I think the first reasoning for me uh, on getting all these players um, was really just how well they played. Um, But I won't lie, I love the fact that Oscar's also got all that other stuff happening. You know, he does uh, Cuban music too, you know, like Cuban jazz. And uh, there's definitely a lot of like Latin influence on the record also. I wouldn't call it a Latin jazz album, but it's, you know, it's definitely got pockets of that here and there. Is that is that something in the arranging for this that you took into account? You thought like, oh, Oscar's got these Cuban chops. Uh, let's throw something. No, it, it didn't happen that way. I I just I hear that stuff anyway because I love it. <laughs> uh, 
I, I would have wrote that stuff if it was, you know, uh, if everybody in the band was named Ben Smith. It, it wouldn't have <laughs> really made a difference. Um, but it, it definitely played to to the uh, strength of the album to have players that could play within those pockets really well. And I also love the way, you know, you know, Ken, he's not he's not Cuban, but man, Kenneth Salters can really play uh, the, the Latin stuff on the drums with some authenticity. And I just like the way he he played all that stuff. Same with David Wong. So uh, but they all have their own strengths, you know, and you, you won't find a more solid bass player than David. Like, no, nope. I, I literally I knew that there was a two day window that david could do and then the next time i could get him was going to be like in another year (laughs) yep so i was like all right i'm gonna make this damn album happen on these two days and i just had it i I made it work that way um all right and then it's yeah i've been we've kind of been holding off on on describing the the music in too much detail here but can we listen to one of the tracks and kind of let people decide for themselves what they think of it sure let's do it and i I'd be remiss not to though mention Sabine Kabongo, also oh, the vocalist. Right. That's correct. Yeah. So she uh, just quickly the way I met her was when I worked with Joe Zawinol, She was singing with with his with uh, the band Syndicate that was playing with him oh, at yeah. the time, <laughs> and uh, I was so impressed by her. And that was a, like over ten years ago, um, or it was about ten years ago. So I I knew that I wanted to do something with her in the future, and when I heard a voice in my head when I was writing the lyrics to that song that her voice was the one that I was hearing in my head. So it's just, that's that. And that was that I asked her to do it and she, she was over the moon. She was, uh, she was thrilled to do it. And also having, um, her own story with immigration, the song really resonated with her in a big way. So anyway, very cool. Really, really, really cool. Uh, so, I know we just got done talking about her awesome song or the the song that she's singing on Second Chance, but I'd like to give a listen to <laughs> the title track of this record, uh, Immigration Nation, which, uh, well, let's just put it on and then uh, we, we can talk about it after we listen to it. Here goes.
right. Wow. Well, that song is um, quite something. And uh, I think I I saw it described as a, an overture on your Kickstarter page, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Did you word it like that? Yeah. Um, I think so. I was thinking of it as, as being uh, kind of an overture of sorts, because it programmatically, title-wise, it doesn't really um, convey a specific facet of the immigration experience. Um, and just having the title of, of uh, Immigration Nation, the you know, the title track, it really is intended to just be kind of an introduction and to um, have a kind of a melding of a few different flavors, some of which are, are you know, personal t- to me and to my heritage. And, um, and really it's just to open up the, the listeners, um, you know, ears to, for the rest of the album. Definitely. I've actually played uh, this track for a couple people already, and uh, some of them were very experienced musicians, and a couple knew basically nothing about music, and they all loved it. Um, oh, that's awesome. So it's really cool. You've, you've done quite a really just amazing job with uh, this song and this record as a whole, in my opinion. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so... I had a couple more questions. We're kind of running a little bit short on time, so I want to get to some of these things. Um, Did you meet uh, these players when you were studying music in school? Well, uh, um, so Oscar, um, like I said, I met him back. Right. uh, I think when we were... I met him through his brother, Anthony. And Anthony, I had met because we were studying together yeah, pretty much everybody I, I met in some kind of way through a connection through school, even if it wasn't studying with them. Very cool. School, you know, studying in New York, uh, <laughs> you meet so many players and everybody's a friend of a friend of a friend, you right. know, one way or another. So just being on the scene there was a, was an important thing in meeting most of these people. Definitely. And like I said, Nick, I met more recently um, in the last six or seven years uh, teaching at a... A music camp together which camp is that um there's a little festival that happens up in blaine washington and it's called the drayton harbor music festival it's a it's a really special thing that happens um i i just kind of uh got invited one year and can't stop going because it's, it's just a nice little community most people have probably never heard of it i've never heard of it <laughs> i've never heard yeah. of that and i've been to blaine many times too. oh yeah well, it's, it's right a it, the Canadian border, basically. Yeah, exactly, and it's a it's a nice festival where they bring people in from all over the place. They get Nick in from New York every year, and we go out there and we just we we teach these kids every day, and then we play concerts ourselves every night. You know, that's so it's, awesome. Yeah, it's a nice mix of just doing a festival and also teaching a lot. So cool. That's how I that's how I met him. And so so you've. You've studied at Juilliard, uh, looks like Manhattan School of Music as well, and then maybe also in Paris a little bit? Yeah, I did a Fulbright scholarship, um, or I, I was a Fulbright scholar in Paris for a year. It was Congrats. a really great experience. Oh, thanks. It, um, and I, I, I'm sure I got <laughs> I got it by the skin of my teeth as well, because they, they only give one out every year, and it turns out they had already given one out that year, and I got turned down at first, and then I wrote this kind of a squeaky wheel gets the grease kind of letter, and uh, they let me know. Oh well, you know what, Charlie? We just found all this extra funding, so we're going to send you too. So, <laughs> okay, yeah. Wow. Sometimes it, it you know pays to follow the... up. Wow. Yeah. All right. So, but uh, that you know, I I definitely don't come from money or anything, and um, you know, going to school at Juilliard was really contingent upon having a lot of scholarship and taking out loans. Yeah. And uh, same thing was true for Manhattan School. Although I already lived in New York, so that helped with that. And um, so getting that that Fulbright to, to go study abroad was a, a real blessing. And it's 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 very unusual to just not work and just money just comes into your bank. Uh, and it's just like, <laughs> to do that for a year is, is pretty awesome. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Indeed. Yeah, so uh, I went to Berkeley. I was in a similar boat with scholarship money. Um I wanted to ask, uh, since you've done quite a bit of studying, it sounds like, in hindsight, I mean, you've obviously created some amazing music and played with some incredible musicians. Um, 
how how valid uh, how much do you value your degrees i mean how much would you say those have actually helped you i mean people often talk about uh, you hear things on both sides of the the story in terms of you know higher jazz education or music education in general um well what's yeah. your take on that as someone who studied quite a bit uh i think the thing that I find most valuable about all those experiences, uh, usually whenever I, 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 the first thing that stands out to me is the experiences I had with fellow classmates. You know, mm-hmm. it, you learn, I think, more hanging out with your peers to a large degree than you do necessarily with the teachers. I think I agree. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, that's such a valuable part of it. Also, at at Juilliard, being in the classical program there, because they didn't have a jazz program at that point. They just had started it literally the year after I graduated. I forgot that they didn't have a jazz program for a long time. Yeah, and I've always loved playing classical music, too. I I don't see these staunchy, you know, lines between... um, uh, you know genres the way some people do and and uh, and studying with Winton also one reason that I I love Winton's playing and even though he gets some flack from from some people um, he's a masterful musician I, I think he's yeah definitely and you know people don't always have to agree on everything but uh, it, you'd be silly to to not think that that Winton is a absolute master of what he does and that he's 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 equally gifted in classical and jazz music um but really at the end of the day it's all music and and that's the approach he takes and that's the approach that i take i think that's the approach that all the greatest musicians take they they don't see what they do as as being any better than what somebody else does it's all it's all you know like i don't know if it was duke ellington that said it or if it was uh louis armstrong you know there's only two kinds of music good music (laughs) bad music but um you know and i i guess if you listen to my album you also hear that classical influence in there as well you know and also on uh, your other record uh, as well even more so i think yeah oh for sure with the prologue and but uh, you know to 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 try to be more concise in, in that answer though to your question um I, I feel like the degrees, you know, they're nice to have, but at the end of the day, especially in the jazz world, nobody cares if you have a degree. Uh, maybe if you're trying to teach at a university, which I do teach at PSU, so maybe that helps with that. But, um, you know, nope, nobody, uh, <laughs> it, it's all about how you sound, right? I'm sure you can agree on that. Yep. You can have degrees from, from here, there, and everywhere else, and if you don't sound good, or if you can't play in time, or if you can't play mm-hmm. something that's going to, you know, be meaningful to someone, then they might not want to play with you. Exactly. So, um, but, you know, in the classical world, it can open doors. I will say that, having a degree from Juilliard. But it'll, it'll only open the door at first and then if you can't play that door gets shut so (laughs) (laughs) you know um but i i I really value the experience of just uh being in a really cool city and and having friends that are are as hungry to do uh what what it is that you're trying to do at, at the same time that's that's the best thing possible that's why i think new york is such an amazing place totally awesome well, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, so I got to hear the CD release show in Seattle for Million, but it was a different band than uh, what was on the record. And I assume this is the, the you played with uh, the Seattle version of the band uh, for the entirety of the tour. Right. With the exception of Nick Biello, who flew out from uh, from from New York. I see. Right. That's right. And how did you go about rehearsing a new band for a tour like that? I, besides just giving them the record and charts, you, you sounded so tight. Uh, and it's, uh, Oh, yeah, thank you. I want to hear um, what that was. You like. know, I, I, I think the gigs did get tighter as we did them. The first one might not have been as tight if I'm being honest. <laughs> um, but you know, it's always hard to get musicians together to rehearse. Um, at least it's hard for me. Um, I think it's, uh, it's one of those things you get good musicians together and they're oftentimes busy. So, um, and you know, also getting a tour together where you're going from point A to point B and where those two points are far away from each other, it's even harder to get people together. So, 
this was actually uh, one of the first times I've ever organized my own tour myself. I've I've been a part of other tours, or if, you know, when I've uh, done things through um, Jazz at Lincoln Center when I was touring with my quartet uh, abroad when we went to Asia and and uh, and and India, they would schedule all that stuff. But uh, doing this myself was a real eye opener as to how much freaking work it actually really is. Oh, um, yeah. So I was just, I felt really blessed just to have the people that I had and that they could make the one rehearsal that they made. We literally had a two hour, maybe a two and a half hour rehearsal before the tour to get all the music together. So wow, that, <laughs> that says a lot yep. for uh, your preparedness as a band leader, your charts, and also the musicianship of everybody involved. Uh, congrats on Who pulling the that tour. Off. Uh, so on the tour, we had uh, John Hansen on piano, mm-hmm. and he, he's one of your guys there in Seattle. Um, yep. And I had met John uh, on Orcas Island uh, doing a gig together out there. We actually did a memorial concert for Willie Thomas, a uh, great, great trumpet player that passed away a little while ago at 88. Um, and one of uh, big influences in, uh, in my life over the last seven years. That was going to um, be my next question. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, but to quickly say the other uh, members, uh, uh, Alan Jones was playing drums oh, cool. and, uh, John Lakey, we call mm-hmm. him sticky. He was playing bass and, uh, and that, then, yeah, it was Nick, B- Nick Biello, uh, from New York on tenor sax. Very cool. So, yeah. So I was going to ask about Willie Thomas and, and Steve Albach. I was doing oh, yeah, research Steve. and I, I noticed that he took your photos. Yeah, and, and he I was haven't... also he he was in New York with me too. Yeah, he came okay, out okay. to the session. Okay, very yeah, close. So partner I was going to ask about that, and and then I you know the Orcas Island thing. They they live up there, and early Willie did live up there. Um, yeah, I think Steve still does. And, and, and um, Ali Grunwald is up there as well, yeah, and he's yeah. he's a, another really good friend of mine, extraordinary player, uh, and and composer. So, uh, when was this tribute concert to Willie Thomas? Oh man, I'm bad with dates, but I can tell you it was a it was a few months back. Because I actually went up to Orcas Island and played a tribute concert to Willie Thomas, sort of with Steve Elbach and and Ollie about you? a almost a year ago, I think, maybe a little less than that, like eight, seven or eight months ago or something like that. I don't remember well, exactly when it was, but just were we on the same concert together? <laughs> I'm trying to figure this out. I don't know. <laughs> I really want you two to have been at the I same concert, I don't but not think know each so, other. But maybe. <laughs> wait, what? So, wait, what? Um, do you well, remember? It was more just like a. It wasn't like an official thing, but we. Yeah, we did a gig. Oh, there was one. A... I think there was one that was the official one, and maybe one that happened earlier that was not okay. the official one, which yeah. I could not. I couldn't make it to that one. So you're probably on okay, that one. Okay, that's probably what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, funny small world. I was, was going to say, wait a minute here. I was putting the pieces together. I was like, wait, have we actually played music together? Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, very cool, very cool small world. I think we would have uh, remembered that. I, I would hope, anyway. Definitely, yeah. All right, so that's really cool. Uh, we're running short on time here, but before uh, we wrap up, I want to ask you. So, what's next? What are the new projects that you're working on coming up? Oh man, there's always. Uh, about 10 ideas of what the next project's <laughs> going to be. Um, I'm not totally sure, 100%, exactly which one I'm going to invest the time into. But I can tell you that I I do have a classical project, which is on my mind. I know that wow. this is a jazz podcast, but... Oh, um, talk it up. I'm very excited to hear about it. <laughs> but I've got... Um, I've never had a chance to really document, uh, as a solo artist, my own uh, classical stuff. So um, it's a four-concerto album concept where we're going to do two old concertos, the Haydn and the Hummel, but with totally different reorchestration for for about eight players are you Um, writing the orchestrations yeah so it's it's and that's always a challenge to um to distill things to a smaller group but what it does is it also sheds a new light on the piece and it makes you hear it in a different way and in a more transparent way and so with that same group i'm also writing uh well I, i had a friend i i commissioned a friend of mine a great composer 
Pritzker, uh, Gene Pritzker, to write a concerto, and I'm also writing a concerto, which is almost done. And so it's going to be four concertos, two old ones, and and uh, you know, with a new light shined on them, and and two brand new ones, all sharing some some common themes as well. Um, I, I guess you could say that the the two new ones are going to have some kind of neoclassic uh, neoclassical concepts or precepts. So uh, that's that's in the the uh, <laughs> it, that, let's say that's one of the pots uh, that's that's cooking on the stove. But uh, another one that I'm toying with is this idea of doing an album of. Uh, of a new set of standards, but, uh, get this, this is the idea concept. Uh, it, it would be called, um, uh, stranger than fiction and it's songs from the American sci-fi songbook. So, Whoa. Whoa. yeah, cause I'm a big fan of sci-fi, uh, the sci-fi genre. And I feel like there's so much great music in that, that little subgenre oh yeah it has not been explored really very much uh, some of these i know for a fact if not there's no arrangements that's, that have been done and i i've been actually plugging away at that for a little while and i've i've got almost a cd's worth of uh of arrangements of that stuff Whoa. so um <laughs> i think that would be a really fun project to do especially since i've done all this original stuff but um, you know, also part of me wants to just do a CD or, or an album, I should say, of, uh, of standards. So those are three ideas that I'm passing around in my brain. And, um, but if I did the standards thing, uh, I would want to do it in a, in a new way. I, I love how Winton, um, would always come up with those cool arrangements, you know, in the standard time volumes oh, that yeah. he's done. And, uh, and it's, I think that's the test for a jazz musician too, is when you, when you are doing those standards to, to put your own stamp on it and how do you do that? You know? And so I would love to have a chance to put my own stamp on, on some standards as, as well. Very cool. I am very excited to listen to all three of these projects and, uh, yeah, that's, that's really, really great. Uh, I think that's about all the time we have. Yeah, uh, pretty much. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending this uh, little chunk of time with us, and uh, thank you also for putting out this wonderful music. And oh, well, thank really, you guys. Lastly, really quickly, are there any places yeah. people can hear you play live any anytime soon? Oh yeah. Uh, well, if you go to my website, charlieportermusic.com, bingo. My, my whole um, well, I've got all the information on the albums and all that stuff and my schedule's all there uh with all the dates uh, so i know that you know there's a steady gig that i do at the 1905 here in in uh, portland um awesome as well venue. as yeah and i think i'm going to be up in seattle uh, performing with uh, greta matassa uh on january i believe uh or is it hmm, you know what i think it's in <laughs> oh Hmm. I Is did not put website? that. That one's not on the website, but it's Uh-oh. happening. We're performing in December at some point um, at the uh, Seattle Art Museum oh, as part, yeah. cool. the part of their thing. Part, exactly part of their series there. And then I think I'm uh, also doing some stuff uh, coming up in, in January in Germany. And then also in February, I'm doing a little tour in uh, New Zealand. So there's definitely Whoa. some stuff happening and it's nice to do the local gigs here in Portland and in Seattle, and then also just <laughs> travel, you know, as I'm sure you, both of you guys know as well, being working musicians. Very cool. Well, yeah. thank you again. Yeah. For thank you so much for doing this. This thank you guys time and for being such a great record. Yeah, definitely. And uh, for everybody else, you've been listening to Jazz Talk Seattle. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, and you can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes and all the other regular podcast places. And thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next month.